Welcome to We're Not Wizards. We are the best, but not wizards. Enjoy the show! Of We're Not Wizards, my name's Richard. I'll be your host for sep- October. Almost said September. I'm so used to being September, but we're right in October into the spooky season. And um we're just gonna get straight into it. I was gonna do a big huge intro, but I'm gonna say I'm gonna say what two words and two words only in this Resident Evil. Um because joining me, he's like a ref- I don't know if he's like almost like a part-time presenter now. He's been on so many times. It's Mr. Sherwin Matthews from Steamforge Games, and we're going to talk a bit about Resident Evil, which every time you say the word Resident Evil, you have to say it in that voice, otherwise it doesn't it doesn't count. But anyway, we'll get past the nonsense anyway. How are you, sir? Are you well? I'm at least reasonable, thank you. Um, <laughs> thank you for having me. It's uh, I always look forward to these shows. It's decided. You are you are at least my second or third favorite podcast. So it's, it's decidedly average to be here. As you, <laughs> well, yeah, some along those lines. I I could yeah I could blow smoke up your ass. I'd, I no, just... I've, no, I get I kind of get I don't get that at all. So I wouldn't know how to deal with it if somebody did actually do that. I'd be like that. I don't know. Do you want me to try and be super enthusiastic? Would that be fun no? Because well? like it's kind of like it's Sunday evening, so my super enthusiasm I'm building up for when I'm winning tomorrow morning, hmm. nine o'clock at work. The kind of the the kind of the next day. So um, yeah, no, it's been no, no, it's um, I like okay. So let's talk about a couple of things first of all. The last time that we spoke a little while ago, we were talking about Sea of Thieves. Okay. That's kind of been out there, and it's been kicking about the castle. And um, are you able to? You're able to obviously talk a little bit more. I think you were kind of a bit restricted in what you kind of kind of say about it. The kind of the last time, and the other thing, Mister, I dropped major hints in the podcast, and I didn't realise until afterwards, is this announcement of the Horizon Zero Forbidden West game. Which you dropped a massive clangor when I was on the show uh, and Sam like was on the, the show. You, I, I will say I like the way you think it was a clangor. Well, it was like a pretty big subtle. Yeah, it was very intentional. <laughs> very, very intentional. So that is this just to encourage people to kind of go back and listen to the previous kind of episodes now, so they can. Uh, kind this of... was mostly because I value I value your show so much <laughs> that I want to give you a world exclusive. <laughs> A world and, and I gave it to you, and you knew it. Ha- you knew exactly what it was because as soon as we finished the show in the in the post recording, yes. you said you just spoiled that, didn't you? And and the exact answer was, yeah, I did. Yes, you did. But then I wasn't. I didn't know if I could actually say anything about it because I didn't want to incur the wrath of the of the steam forged kind of marketing department. Oh, you, t- oh, you, t- you totally you certainly couldn't say anything about it, but yeah, you know, that's yeah, that's part of the fun, right? Yeah, I'll take the flack. Yeah, you just get the cool show. Yeah, it was almost like um, it was almost like that situation when you're back to being young again, and then you tell your parents that you no longer believe in 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 in, in, in Santa Claus anymore, and they're like, oh, but you've got to pretend you kind of believe for your little brother and your other siblings. Basically, you've got to keep the magic kind of alive. So I felt I had to kind of like not let it out of the bag. Otherwise, again, the marketing department from Steamforge Games, who I'm turning into some kind of big, huge monster, which I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure they're not. I'm sure they're definitely. Yeah, Joe, knowing knowing the person involved, me dropping Horizon would would give them kittens. Uh, you describing them as a monster is probably more likely to get them very upset. So <laughs> hey ho, it is what it is. I didn't mean that by any I, I didn't mean that by any 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 kind of thing at all. Um. Okay, where where are we in terms of Horizon Forbidden West then? Putting Th- Sea of Thieves to one side, are you? I like the way we start. We start off saying we're going to talk about these two things, and then we just completely ignore but... that and go around a different time. Right, welcome it's to glorious. the show. Welcome to the show. Uh, yeah, no, Horizon's really really good. Uh, depending on when you're putting this out, uh, we have either 
really begun to start putting out blogs and developer diaries mm. and all sorts of things, or that's shortly, or that's forthcoming, and we'll be starting, you know, in a couple of days or so. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I'm really, really, really excited about the project. It's going to be super fun. Um, what's really cool about this one is. I mean, we we always work very closely with all of our uh, licensed partners, yeah. but Gorilla are really special to work with because not only do they have the the same massive passion for for their game that I would expect, yeah, um, they also they're really excited about um, this actually having a canonical story. This is something where this isn't just a a reimagining of the Forbidden West board game, yeah. uh, sorry, video game, or it's not kind of yeah you know, that slightly awkward thing that happens yeah you know, when they make video games sort of, of movies yes. for example where it's, it's emulation this is something where this is a whole new story within the horizon universe which is canon um there are some things which will have nods here well in fact there's definitely things in here that have nods to uh, to the actual story content that you've seen mm-hmm. already which is really cool so does it then give you a bit more carte blanche in terms of how you approach the entire campaign i guess because you've been given a kind of a um you've been given the ability to work with them and say okay well what's going to happen with this what's going to happen with that because this is the tale this is basically set in the period before aloy travels to the west or the forbidden west as it's called and it's kind of like the story of how the various kind of factions kind of um kind of ended up kind of trying to work together and then ended up ultimately kind of being at war as far as I'm as far as I'm aware um so did that give you a little bit more well how do, how do how are we going to represent this in a kind of a board game kind of format yes in a roundabout way mm. I mean the, the the honest answer to that is this is something where you know I've, I've forgotten how many there have been because there's been an awful lot of them uh sit down meetings with Gorilla or with, you know their narrative team mm. how do we tell it yeah Let's tell a really cool story, mm. you know, kind of this is the time period, lots of conversations about that, mm. ideas about what could happen within this that's an interesting story to tell, what yeah, you know, what do we what do we want to achieve with this, kind of, you know, what are the key you know, key beats, all the stuff you'd normally expect. Um and I think because one of the things that um, and the what's come out of that is we're telling a story that doesn't exactly feel rooted as in this is a board game story or this is a video game yeah. story, this is yeah. just the world story. So I the answer is yes in a roundabout way, but um, but I wouldn't necessarily want to say we've been working in such an integrated way. I honestly couldn't say whether it's something where yeah we've kind of really just run and run and run of ideas versus there's been lots of iterative work between the pair to uh, the two their creative department, yeah their uh, their narrative team and us. So and this fact is still ongoing, of course. So so it looks like it's going to follow a similar system to what's been developed for Elden Ring in that it looks like there's a more exploration style element well Elden Ring what you've got is you've got obviously the various areas that you can kind of explore and then when you get to certain areas when you're doing kind of like um, um, it breaks it down it almost like zooms in when you've kind of got interaction with like bad guys and stuff like that so is it is it going to be similar to that or are you, t- are you, are you saying well we can take again we're changing it enough so it isn't doesn't look like we've just hit control C control V on the Elden Ring kind of design document uh, I would actually say it's it's nothing like Elden Ring oh um, so uh, I mean, obviously, in the grand sense of there's a but there's exploration, there's fighting, and so on. Yeah, uh, and that's probably about where the comparisons end. Um, <laughs> this is very this is very much an evolution of the Horizon Zero Dawn uh, board game. Ah, okay. As as you'd expect. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So so yes. Yeah, so definitely not a Control C Control V. We we don't really ever do that anyway. Mm-hmm. The, the only times that we create engines which are obviously based or influenced by existing engines when we're making the sequel for an existing game. Take the Resident Evil range. Yeah. For, sorry. Resident Evil That's it. range. Uh, <laughs> or, um, yeah, or, or in this case, Horizon. Because um, obviously that's... Horizon has an extremely uh, well-regarded engine in terms of the actual combat and so forth. Yeah. So that's the starting point, really, for what it is. And obviously, some of our stuff, we want to obviously make sure there's backwards compatibility or forwards compatibility as well, mm-hmm. which is built into this. So. So, in terms of the exploration, how how different is how different is it? Um, as in, is it going to be? Are you going to be exploring kind of large areas of the land 
and things like that in the Forbidden West game. I'm going to leave a lot of this to Fraser. I don't want to steal his thunder because this is something where Fraser's going to be talking about this in the next little bit. What I will say is this is a very different uh, method of exploration and and uh, exposition than what you would expect from Horizon Zero Dawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also different to what you had uh, in Elden Ring. So, yeah, it, it's entirely new. And with that in mind, with you having this new system, is it an opportunity then to create retrofit content for the horizon, the original Horizon Zero Dawn board game, where uh, you can watch this space. Ah, yes, but 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 okay. Yes, yes. All right, okay. But I'm not. I'm not saying anything more than yes. Right, and I'll uh, I'll leave you to do that. Right, okay. So I mean, I'm going to take that. I'm going to kind of take that. Um, take that as it is. Um, <clears throat> Resident Evil. It's out. It's loud. Yes. It's proud. And everything like that. Don't be too loud for zombies with you. <laughs> Why was the decision to do like to not do the Resident Evil game as the first one? Why are you doing it in a kind of like a Star Wars oh, thing? Oh, so, uh, so let's let's. Uh, I see where you're coming from with that. So let's go back a thousand years to when I was young, right? Uh, and we were working on the first Resident Evil. Yeah. And uh, so we we got the gig and we started working on Resident Evil. And Capcom said, hey, we're releasing Resident Evil 2 Remake. You should make the game based on that. Mm. You know, lots of hype around it. Lots mm. of people really, really excited about it. Let's do that. Yeah. Okay, cool. And of course, at this point, you know, there were no details. They just literally announced it at that point. Yeah. Um, so so we started making Resident Evil 2 uh, based on that. And of course, that came out uh, literally more or less the same week as the actual remake. You couldn't have accidentally timed it better if we tried. Um, so that was the thing. That landed. Um, and then we started working on Resident Evil, and this was the fun part. I actually started working on Resident Evil One and Resident Evil Three at the same time, oh. um, because I wasn't sure which one we were going to do next. Because logically, exactly as you say, why don't we make Resident Evil One? Yeah, and that's the bit where Capcom said, "Hey, we're remaking Resident Evil Three. You should <laughs> totally release a game based on Resident Evil Three. Yeah, and lo and behold, that's what we did, and that game came out pretty well around about the time of Resident Evil Three. So then that's that. And then it happened to naturally fall into our laps. Cool. So now I'm going to go back, pick up the Resident Evil 1 I was working on. Yeah. And it just so happens that was the year of the 25th anniversary of the original Resident Evil. Uh-huh. So at that point, that felt pretty nicely. It became a celebration of everything Resident Evil. Yeah. And life is good. So was the pressure a little bit off? I'm guessing if it's a year of the celebration, then you've got like a bigger window when you kind of want to get it finished and released as opposed to let's release it around the board game. No, I don't think I've ever. We never really, um, we never really had any focus around. We need to try and release our game at the same time as the video game mm-hmm. or, or thereabouts. It just so happens that that's pretty much when it landed on both the other two. To be honest, I mean, Resident Evil Two was very close. Resident Evil Three, I think, was about two or three months removed. Uh, sorry, Resident Evil Three was about two or three months removed. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I've never. Obviously, we have our own internal schedules that we work to for different bits and pieces. I've never really felt any pressure beyond you know, production for people showing at me uh, as much as anything else to hit a certain release date for Resident Evil games. Mm-hmm. So so in terms, you said you were developing it along the same time as Resident Evil 3, so is there, is, is it pretty much the kind of the same game or were you conscious in making changes so it did emulate as close to the first game? Because the thing about the first game is that when you're playing the first game, a zombie takes like six bullets to knock down, whereas generally you start off the game with like five bullets, so you've not actually got enough bullets to kind of like kill the zombie. Whereas when I was playing kind of like, say, the Resident Evil 3 board game, ammunition and stuff is kind of scarce, but you can be a little bit more gung-ho if you want to be. So when it came to the Resident Resident Evil board game, you had to, did you have to then strip that back to make you as a much more kind of vulnerable player with resources being an awful lot tighter? So there's a couple of answers uh, and there's always a, uh, a longer story to this. Um, so Resident Evil has always been an engine where for the, fir- for the first game, i.e. RE2, we, we developed what we call the survival, internally we call the survival horror engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was always something where that's our template. And then when it came to RE1, 
one slash three development we started looking at the refinements we want to make to that in terms of how enemies react was a principal one um, we want to introduce a better or stronger uh, special attack system um, and evolution in terms of how can we look at various different functions of the game streamline things or tidy bits up here and there that sort of stuff mm-hmm. um, and of course when we actually made the decision to work on resident evil 3 the work I'd done on Resident Evil 1 went into the hopper for the time being. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't something where, you know, it was kind of, okay, this is great, but we're RE3, this is the one it is, so this can go sit over here for the moment. So all of the Resident Evil games have been evolution of that of that same engine. Effectively, it's been something where we're emulating the same feeling of a different location. Um, and exactly as you suggested, it's about where do you zoom in and what, yeah. what typifies this particular game. So for RE3, the big change we wanted to have is this sense of, you know, RE3 does a very good job of putting you in a big city and feeling like you're exploring there. Yeah. Now, in reality, it's actually a bunch of rooms. If you were to actually look at the map and understand how it works, mm-hmm. it, it's rooms. But they do obviously this with rendered backgrounds. They make it feel more like city streets yeah. and open up and they don't have regular shapes and so on, most of the corridors. So it kind of gives you this bigger sense and this wider range. So that's what we wanted to do with our game was go, let's make an open world board game. You know, something size and simple and not terribly terrifying you know, as a concept whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and we wanted to build that. For this one, we wanted to zoom it back in. One of the big things I remember from the original Resident Evil in the mansion is you don't know what's waiting around the next corner. Yes. And one of the big elements we wanted to do with that, and it's something I talked with Matt about um, for RE3 but never implemented, was the idea of let's set up the map as we go. And in this one, I wanted to come back to that. And really, and that's the one of the biggest elements to this was was introduced this idea of let's set up the map as we go. One because it streamlines down setup time, which is something I always wanted to look at doing. Yeah. And what drove that decision conversation in RE three, but also something where actually as we started playtesting, it became relevant of this is its whole. This has got a whole new life of its own, or unlife depending on how you look at it but it's, it's got this it, it's got this whole new life of its own it's taken on this whole new spirit to what the game is yeah. because the, my, the, the anecdotal story I always tell is Steve uh, the developer and I were playing this playtesting one of the scenarios one of the later ones and we're playing it and we're going through and I'm looking at the tension deck and, and you know it's going on and so on and suddenly it dawned upon me we're going to run out of cards like yeah. we're going to fail this scenario because we don't actually yeah because we need to wear cards Where's the typewriter? Oh, we haven't found it yet. Yeah. And suddenly, Steve and I immediately, it's quite funny, both of us clicked well out of playtesting mode and gamer mode kicked in. <laughs> and now we're like, right, eyes down, eyes on the prize, let's find the typewriter so we don't die. And it's, we just both had the same reaction. It's quite funny. And then we just ran around, found the typewriter, like, you know, just started running off the map to explore, found the typewriter, whew, collective sigh of relief. And then suddenly went, oh, hang on a minute, we're playtesting. But that's the point. That's the spirit of what yeah, it is. Yeah, like yeah. it's much easier to plan in RE two and RE three. Okay, so our our you know our tension cards are going down. We have like three or four cards left. Okay, cool. So you need to go over to that typewriter mm. over there or plan ahead for this. RE one that doesn't always happen, but a lot of the game is exploring. A lot of the game is exactly like Resident Evil video games are. You don't know what's around the next corner, and we give you objectives. I mean, this is this game is very much typified by the. We tell you how to complete it, i.e. what your scenario objectives are. Yeah. We don't tell you how to achieve that. We don't say, for example, oh, I don't, you know, say you need to get the item C card. What we don't tell you is actually you need to go and find like the you need to go find the emblem key, which you use that to go get the armor key that then lets you open the door, that then lets you go and use the piano puzzle. Once you've done that, it opens out the wooden crest and then you can go take that, change it for the gold crest, and then you get the item C. We don't tell you all the puzzle stuff to go with it. Because that's part of what Resident Evil is. It's a very experiential um, type of game you know you simply you have to explore you have to see what's there and that permeates all the way down from you know the way the decks evolve to the story decisions you make to the the way that the game actually develop you know gives you narrative events and so on it, it's very much more integrated how do you work with the kind of the puzzle elements then because i can imagine it would be just well just find this card go to this card and go to this card but do you have to be a bit more inventive to make it actually act like a puzzle then so some of it is that exactly what you've said it's it's i mean fetch quest feels like a slightly derogatory term to it but it's a lot of it is find item take it to this Mm. location and obviously the item random like and and the mystery there comes from the fact that the locations of different items are randomized um and then obviously you don't know where you've actually got to get it to until you explore the map 
Um, but there's a lot of other ones. Resident Evil 1 is different to the other two games in that it introduces a puzzle deck. And we use that, I don't think there's ever two puzzles that are the same. We have several scenarios that have very unique puzzles, whether that's uh, uh, one that comes to mind is where you start off all those puzzle cards to face down and you have to spend actions to flip over set puzzles and the objective is to is to get all of the cards face up. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can spend an action to flip over cards one and three, for example, or or you know, one and four and then you know, it gives you different combinations you can do of yeah. flipping over cards. So one player is doing that while everyone else is playing. Oh, right, um, okay. There's also there's other ones where it's a case of uh, you have a set combination of these cards. So imagine you deal three cards face down. Uh, they obviously yeah, there's there's four cards with different symbols on them. You deal three cards face down. You've got switches for all of these different cards dotted around. You have to hit the correct switches to be able to flip up some of these cards. But if you push the one that isn't there, then it resets the puzzle, and then you have to start all over again. There's a variety of different mm-hmm. puzzles that we introduce into that, which. It's a lot of fun to make them, to be honest. Um, sort of spent you know several days with Steve just sitting down and blasting through and sort of saying, how do we create puzzles that are intuitive in the sense that you spend an action to interact with it in some way? Yeah. That aren't something where once you know the combination or know what to do, you can then just you know brute force it very quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the same, you know, or just you know have mem- muscle memory and just go up to and go, okay, so I push A, B, C, and then it's done. Yeah. And then the other one is of course something which doesn't slow everyone down to a grind like it is something where because the worst thing in a lot of games is where you get to a certain point it's like right what's this puzzle everyone stops playing the game and everyone starts sitting there going hmm how do we resolve this and then you know half hour later someone goes I know the solution now we can go back to running around away from zombies we wanted to create puzzles that keep that would play in the background while everyone else is running around trying to escape from different enemies and I'm always surprised that more kind of games of this genre don't have puzzles. I mean, as in, they'll have kind of, like, fetch quests that you say. <clears throat> but it's re- very rare that, and I'm talking about whatever <clears throat> whatever dungeon crawler you're talking about, whatever zombie game you're talking about, there's not one that says, okay, in order to get this, you've got to actually figure out this puzzle. And I don't know if, if it's just... There's, there's so much expectation in this genre of game that if you started throwing some really cer- cerebral stuff at folk, people would kind of bounce, bounce off it. But it's really it's really interesting. Um, I th- I think I remember looking at RE two and RE three very much, and because the subject of puzzles came up, mm-hmm. it's obviously a big part of the DNA for what Resident Evil games are, mm-hmm. uh, certainly the early ones. And for Resident Evil two. I looked at the video game itself, and as much as it has a reputation for having lots of puzzles in there, most of them are fetch quests. Yeah, it's it's go get item A, take it to location B, yeah. and then the thing is then done. Uh, there are a couple of exceptions, but largely that's what it is. RE three is very much similar. There are a few more puzzles in it, but at the same time, it didn't again because RE three tends to be more action oriented. There's more enemies, and you know you've got more damage output. That was kind of something slightly against the way of the spirit of the game. Yeah. So we put a lot of the puzzles in that. We made into narrative events to resolve them that way. And in the case of RE1, puzzles are a much larger part of what that game is. So we wanted to address that properly and actually put them in a sensible fashion. And I'll admit, initially, that's quite an intimidating thought. Because it is, how do you do this? Or, or how do you do this in a way that, as I've said, doesn't bog down gameplay, keeps yeah. people at the table, yeah. and keeps them engaged keeps the action moving and so on what i found actually working on it was they're actually once we started doing it it wasn't actually as hard as i thought it would be it was something that was actually you know once we worked out the rules on how to do this it was actually okay it was something where it's and it did exactly what you'd expect which is it kept players actually trying to go how do i do this thing and then as long as you have you don't break your action economy to stop it from you know to make it happen, as long as there isn't that bit where everything scratch slows to a halt and everyone's standing there scratching their heads, as long as you keep the action economy going and it feels like what you're doing is part of the actual you know, fits within the objective system, fits within your characters moving around, and it's not just I'm looking at that puzzle track to try and work out the answer. I'm also looking at the playing space. I'm moving my characters yeah. around in that area to go you know, as I said, activate a switch or to, you know, open a, you know, click a door to actually reveal a card or whatever else. As long as there's interactivity between the two, 
keeps it going, keeps it flowing. And also there's a tension side of things as well, because one of the things that Resident Evil was famous for, if you, I mean, if you say to people Resident Evil, they're all going to say the same thing, which is the dog coming through the window. And they're also going to yes. say the first, the famous kind of, when you first find your first zombie and they turn round ominously, which is interesting. Part of the the box when you open it, it's got this delightful kind of, um, one of those kind of concertina puzzles that you used to get that as you flip it slightly, it kind of changes oh. the kind of the picture that was kind of there. Um, but in terms of like the, in the tension side of things, have had, did you, because, well, okay, well, Resident Evil 3, the tension, I, f- I felt the tension worked really, really well because the zombies weren't aggressive. It wasn't like you were fighting in a, like a nor- in a, like another dungeon crawler where they were moving kind of like everything's moving three or four spaces and things like that. They just generally, they shambled a space and that was it. They were this kind of constant threat. So with Resident Evil 1, the number of threats in the video game was obviously a lot less. So did you then have to take that into consideration when it came to kind of like the tension side of things? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things we always wanted to do with every Resident Evil game was... One of, one of, the, one of the challenges we always had was every enemy in Resident Evil presents a challenge. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a lowly zombie, it's a dog jumping through a window, mm-hmm. a hunter or a licker or the tyrant itself. It, it, we never wanted it to be as simple as run up to that enemy, boom, 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 roll some dice, it goes away, we don't care. Yeah. It has to feel like there's a pressure there. That's why the zombies are the way they are in Resident Evil games. They force players to... Every every enemy is a, is a talking point. Every enemy is, well, I could try and put it down, but that'll take some ammunition. Yeah. I don't have a lot of ammunition, so I, and am I going to come back into this room? Am I not going to come into this room? Yeah. And so on, you know. And effectively, what you're juggling there is is three different resources. One is time, one is ammunition, and the other one is health. Yeah. And depending on which one of those you are poor at, because you will never have, you know, all of them as really, really good. Then at that point, you that makes your decision for you is a big part of your reasoning behind what you're doing. And that that has always served us very, very well as a formula going through all the way from two through to three and then back to one again, because that resource management is at the very heart of Resident Evil's engine and it's always been that way and that taps into it in a way which makes players really resonates with players that's what makes players feel like this is a Resident Evil game it's sticking into that core DNA Mm -hmm. and as a result we didn't necessarily have to make too many changes to RE1 now obviously there are more enemies in RE3 because that's what the game is is, Um, Resident Evil 1 what we wanted to do there was create more effects that mean the zombies have more presence or more threat or more dangerous. We want our environments to feel more claustrophobic. Yeah. We want it to be something where, where you know, not shutting a door is literally death because that means suddenly lots of things come up and grab you. Like we wanted to have more archways so you feel like even though there's only one or two enemies, you can't get away from them so easily because the corridors are much bigger. Yeah, yeah. Make make the area feel more enclosed. And more inescapable. Like yeah, you know, there there are lots of areas in Resident Evil One where it's like a, I don't want to go back there. I really, really don't want to go back to that corridor because it was really nice and grim. Mm-hmm. But the game is forcing me to have to go back that way because that's where you know the objective is, or that's the, the way I've got to backtrack through the level. In in that respect, does the game because it says it's like up to I think it's one to four players. Hmm. So. Because of the nature of the actual Resi- the original Resident Evil game, I- I'm guessing that this is a kind of a it is like literally a game that was probably designed with a lot more kind of solo play in mind. Not by by merely by following what the game does itself, the video game kind of format. So in that case, you get the kind of the same tension. You get the kind of the same. Um, you get the kind of the same kind of, I guess. Um, continual threat from the zombies as as well so because there is a tendency nowadays to 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 kind of get make board games and then to slot on some kind of solo mode that is either something that beats points or is a very very convoluted way of having like a second or third player play along kind of side and some of them are done exceptionally well um and some of them you feel like it's actually easier to double hand a character 
then actually use the kind of the the solo rules that they kind of have. So, I mean, does it does it in that as I was saying, do you think it kind of warrants kind of like it's really really a good game for solo players? I mean, somebody that's playing this by themselves is going to have just as a good time if they're sitting around the table with like three or four other people. Resident Evil, it's interesting because we've always been served very well by Resident Evil because ultimately at core level, you you can change the number of players mm-hmm. um, very easily and the game actually adapts around you. Yeah, uh, And the way I say that is because of the tension deck. That's the secret sauce here. The tension deck maintains that you will get the same amount of actions, uh, sorry, the same amount of actions, the same amount of turns. doesn't matter whether you're playing solo, mm. whether you're playing four players. The tension deck is exactly the same. Mm. The only variable is that for four players, we do increase it so that you can refresh it an extra time. Yeah. And that's purely to represent this idea that for four players, it's a bit too tight to complete some of the objectives because of where players can end up. Yeah. The chances are, a lot of the time, you actually don't need that second increment. And that's more of a... Uh, yeah, ripcord if you need it, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also lets players play the way they want to play. Now, what's nice, is, so in that sense, the amount of enemies is exactly the same. The amount of, yes, your ammunition goes up a little bit, but not in the dramatic sense. It's only your starting handgun. That, that's all it is. Um, and that's not a, you know, that's nowhere near as dramatic as you might think in Resident Evil, because it does put take a lot of bullets to put down a zombie. It forces you to make slightly different decisions as you go. Mm-hmm. Um and as a result, solo mode actually just seem you know seems to quite seemingly smooth smoothly play through. It doesn't matter how many players you pick. Yeah, um, it can be easier to play with two characters, but that's more from what I've seen of thematic representation. We do a lot in Resident Evil to make sure players you know characters feel isolated from each other. We deliberately have multiple starting areas yeah. because we don't want characters to be running around together. Because again, that's part <laughs> just, of the core DNA for Resident yeah, Evil. Yeah, just gung ho in it basically. Yeah, yeah, it's it's you are out on your own. That's part of that sense of isolation and I'm looking for a friend is kind of what Resident Evil games are. Yeah, yeah. If you think about most Resident Evil video games, most of the time the character is running around trying to survive, holding their breath the entire time, going, oh, I need to find someone. As soon as you find somebody else, there's a cutscene and you go kind of go, oh. <laughs> and just relax back into your seat and enjoy what's happening because you're safe. Yeah. For however long that lasts, you're going to be safe for a little bit while they're talking. And then, and then, you know, typically that's where the character runs off and you go, no, don't go. Yeah. And now I'm going to go back to running around on my own again. And that's what we, those are the things we emulate, but they all serve us very well when it comes to solo play. With it being such an iconic game then, did you look at kind of adding in like little Easter eggs, little homages to the game as kind of people were playing it so that the fans would notice it and go, oh yeah, okay. I, I, I mean, yes. <laughs> the answer, like, I, I regularly get a whole like ever since we made RE two, we get a whole bunch of praise for that. Exactly that. Yeah. Like one of the things, one of the things I've always strived for with Resident Evil, especially, is to make sure that you know all the nods are in there. That as a Resident Evil super fan, I would expect yeah. to see myself. So, you know, half our narrative cards are quotes from characters in the game, for example. Yeah. Um, Here's, here's a small example of, of some of the stuff we do with this, for example. So um, you may or may not be aware we have something called a retro pack for each of the three first games where, like, it's... Um, obviously, we have our board game design for what our card backs and our card fronts and everything else are. Yeah. We also do have done retro packs where the graphics on them are pixelated, like the old PlayStations, <laughs> and then and then the actual menu you know, and the actual card format is like the old menu screen, so it's the old blue colours and so yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to play in a retro <laughs> way, you can do. Um and for the retro pack for RE2, so if you go to uh, Wesker's desk in the video game uh, and you search it 50 times, the 51st time you find it, you'll find a, uh, a picture of one of the rookie stars members. Uh, now, for our retro pack, we put the 51st item card in there. We added a whole extra card, mm. which is that picture of that stars member. It has no in-game purpose yeah, whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. But, it, but the idea is you search the item deck 50 times, the 51st one you pull out is this picture to give you ideas of the Easter eggs. And See, that's kind of that cool. That goes, that kind of goes over and above. There's there's game. I don't know. I always appreciate when people kind of put these little kind of Easter eggs into their games. I think the first time I was kind of like, oh, that's cool, was when I was playing, I think it was King Domino. And you play King Domino and you're laying the tiles down and you go, oh, it's Wheatfield. But then you go, oh, look, it's... 
there's a scarecrow there or look there's somebody that looks like Loch Ness it's like like looks like Nessie there and you know or a cauldron or a knight or a dragon or whatever and it all just continues to kind of like have these kind of like little easter eggs um I'm assuming then that the next big behemoth you might be looking at is probably one that might get, you know, we'll get a lot of little hearts of flutter, which is number four. Well, we kind of already announced it, so at this point we could totally talk about that. Yeah, uh, it is RE4. So in terms of in terms of that, because that is, I mean, Resident Evil 4, that was became, that came into like its own and it was very much a kind of an action-y type affair. There was kind of little puzzles and stuff like that involved. Um, I'm just hoping that we do have a card that just says what you buying on it because that would be magnificent to have the store. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Why would we stop at a card? <laughs> You've got a. Yeah. Oh, okay. Have we got a little figure? Oh, please. Have we got a little figure? Oh, wow. Oh, come on. Don't do that. You do this all the time. It's like, oh, it may be forbidden. Um, right. Okay. That's. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm taking that. That's a definite thing that kind of it is. But again, there's going to be is there there's, there must be a kind of a development gulf between kind of Resident Evil Four and Resident Evil because that is it takes place along across a much larger area. You're moving from, I would say, very simple. There's no corridors and streets, so the representation of the game on tiles and stuff like that, I would assume, would be a little bit more trickier to achieve. So is it going to be a complete kind of rebuild to mm. appreciate how that you know to make sure you're 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 showing that you understand how the kind of the original video game game kind of worked, how far it expanded, that it's going to be an awful lot more kind of contact uh, combat involved as well. Yeah, Resident Evil Four is, I mean, in a lot of ways, and I think this is really evident with the Resident Evil Four remake. Um, Resident Evil Four, as much as as much as it feels immediately quite different to the traditional Resident Evil games, mm. it is more action oriented yeah. and so on. Actually, when you start looking at the core, like you know what what the actual core gameplay is, and this was never more evident than RE4 remake. Actually, it's closer than you'd think um, to what to what the original RE games were. Yes, it was a next console, you know, next generation of console. So immediately, it starts to feel very different in terms of more open. Mm. But but when you actually start drilling into it, once you actually play through the, if you were to sit there and play through the game and make a note of it, half the half the game roughly is actually in is interiors, is rooms and corridors. Mm. Uh, the big place where Resident Evil Four changes a lot more than well, two big places where Resident Evil Four changes a lot more than what the traditional RE is. Um, I mean, I say the two big things. I can go on for ages, but the two big key thing takeaways. One is there's a lot of um, it's a lot of combat puzzles. So you'll go into an area, yeah. you have a combat puzzle, and that combat puzzle might be kill the cultist that drops the particular key you need to get out. Yeah. It might be survive for this much time. It might be flick these switches. You know, yeah. Whatever else. And then a lot of the corridor areas or everything else is connective tissue that simply doesn't have, rarely has too many enemies, if any at all, mm. and just takes you from point A to point B. And it is more level-based, chapter-based as a result. It kind of feels a little bit more like a this is this section of the game, this sort of chapter, as it were, this is this chapter, and so on. Um, so that's a bigger change, because obviously that, by nature, makes it much more linear mm. than what the traditional Resident Evil experience is. Um, the other one is is the you know, is the economy of it. So Resident Evil 1 was very... And Resident Evil, well, 1 through 3 was always very much... I have limited resources. You know, limited ammo, limited healing items. That's That's really what I'm looking at. That's resource management I'm looking at. And I only have so many slots to carry things around and I'm running backwards and forwards between item chests and so on. RE4 doesn't really do that as such. It's more about action economy. I'm being ta- I'm being attacked by all of these different enemies. I need to try and you know you know, I, I need to switch weapons, I haven't got time to reload. Mm-hmm. I need to I can't you know, I can't waste too many bullets trying to aim up my you know, too much time trying to aim attacks on this particular enemy because I might get grabbed from one side or the yeah, other. Yeah. It's about it's about movement, it's about your economy, because you still do have limited healing items and limited bullets, but I don't know about a lot of people, maybe it's because I've played a lot of Resident Evil, but that never felt too crushing the weight when I was playing the game. 
the, the, the demand was more so much it's my economy of movement it's my economy of action it's it's as I do things in that any particular given situation I want to make sure that I have the freedom I have to move around and react to what's you know to the threats that are coming towards me or to go and achieve the different objectives and so on that's what it, yeah that that's the pressure there and I think that's the that's one of the key jumps or changes to Resident Evil 4 from the Resident Evil engine as we know it because exactly as you say it is a rebuild yeah it is something where we aren't going to you know make the Resident Evil 1 system and go well, we've put more enemies in, and now it's Resident Evil Four. That's not how yeah, that yeah, works. Yeah. We no. need to we need to look at this in a different way to better emulate what that to better capture that game experience and you know for the tabletop and make it feel like exactly as we did with the others. You know, people say, okay, this feels like a Resident Evil Four game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the main thing with Resident so, Evil Four was it actually moved into kind of almost human combatants as well. So you had people moving yeah. an awful lot faster. One of the things I'm going to be interested to see how you tackle is the is the weapon storage part because that in itself was a huge puzzle part of the game was kind of like deciding what weapons you were going to store where you were going to hold them and things like that as well so that was always a kind of like a is that kind of like a huge a huge piece so where are you on the timeline for Resident Evil Four is that is that going to be a crowdfunding thing, or is that going to be coming kind of like to retail? Uh, it's Kickstarter. Okay. Um, and we are on the timeline. <laughs> We're on the sacred timeline. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, there, there'll be there'll be announcements in due course about bits and bits. And you pieces, just like drop but... you drop all this other stuff, Sherman, right? And then when it comes to timelines, you're like, nope. Not saying I'm not saying I'm not saying a thing, which I understand because um, crowdfunding timelines are can change from kind of week to week and stuff like that as as, as well. It's more so much, you know. There's there's ways to build things. Yeah. Like yeah, if I was to, if I was to sit down with you and go, here's every single detail you might possibly need, then you you would never get me back on because you'd be like, well, we already told you. Yeah, something. I know. I know. You've got to kind of let let us want it more. Mike, <laughs> I guess my question is, are you going to do Resident Evil Five? Or are you going uh, to skip that? Are you going to that, skip a, that? That's a really good question that I do not know the answer to myself. So anything I say would be pure speculation. Yeah. I could see Resident Evil 5 would be a challenge for some reasons. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's almost like, well, we kind of did that, but then we'll do a card game. <laughs> and we'll print a couple of copies for it. Um, I don't know. Resident, I liked, I liked Red. I must admit, Five, mm, okay. Six, mm, okay as well. Seven was, you know, seven was just ridiculous. And I, I wonder how that would transfer into kind of like a board game. I mean, out of the ones that are out just now, is there one that you're saying, I'd love to get my hands on this and start developing something like that? Or have you already done it already? There are several Resident Evil games that I would really love to work on. So at the moment, I'm working on Resident Evil Four. Yeah, that's it. I would love to be working. If if you gave me, yeah, you said okay, every single Resident Evil game out. Yeah, there there are some that I would love to work on. Uh, The two that immediately jump to mind Uh is Resident Evil Zero. Yeah, and Resident Evil Gaiden. Oh, okay. Which no, which no one knows what Resident Evil Gaiden. No, which is it came out for the Game Boy Color. Uh, and and it is such a innovative game yeah. because obviously they've got severe restrictions yeah, yeah. in terms of what they actually had hardware to work with. Okay, um, I'm sure you'll do a YouTube search after this is over. But um, it's for me, it's such a they they were so clever with how do I how do we recreate a Resident Evil game? But we have no capability to do this in any sort of meaningful way based on what Resident Evil existing is mm-hmm. and I think that's the sort of thing where that's an interesting challenge to me, that's the sort of thing where I'd love to sit down and go, huh, this is kind of fun um, I've built prototypes for imagining what some of our stuff is, I've built prototypes for Resident Evils that are very different to the ones that we've released so far, mm-hmm. now whether we were to grab those engines and then go running with them, whether that was something that actually we decided, do you know what, let's stick to what you know to where we you know to our current template and so on there's a whole bunch of different things we can look at because obviously we never stop thinking out loud and our dev team we're always thinking about different ideas of how could we approach this game just because we made a game this way once doesn't mean we always stick to that yeah 
you know, we always want to say what best emulates this or what would be kind of fun. There's always academic exercises of what would this look like if it was a card game slash board game slash, you know, RPG slash anything else. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's, I mean, going right back, let's, let's touch on a bit about Sea of Thieves. Okay, sure. Because I'm not, I'll be honest with you, I'm not feeling it's getting enough love out there. So I want, can you give us a rundown on kind of how it works? Because I'm not, I don't own an Xbox, I'm a PS5, PS5 boy. So I don't think it's available on the PlayStation 5. But it's not, you know, and that kind of, um, that makes me sad because apparently it's very, very good. But again, it is very, very good. I recommend it. But in terms of the game, how have you matched the kind of the exploration piece and the battle the skirmishing side of stuff and how does the game have you taken kind of main elements of the sea of thieves kind of experience or what have you what parts have you done because you obviously couldn't put it'd be a tricky one to take everything or yeah no so sea of thieves is a there's a few big takeaways that we zoomed in on mm. um, and some of them are so so the Let's go way back to a starting point, mm. and it's almost like a design dojo kind of thing. So, starting point is okay. We're going to make a really cool CFE, a really cool pirate game. So let's go with that. Yeah. Okay. So what do we think that should be part of? Well, we think we should go around on our boats, go look for treasure, go fight enemies, attack each other, go see kill sea monsters. You know, go get gold, take it back, trade it, get special crew, upgrade our boats and special cannonballs and stuff. And then basically, what's our objective? Well, we'd like to get you know, somehow we need to say, let's say one of you gets enough reputation or infamy to become like, you know, better than the others and that's how we do mm. it. And that's 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 that was like our sort of starting point before we even necessarily went too much further, is like that feels like a good core game loop. Now, what's really interesting is that's literally very close to Sea of Thieves. The only part that's not necessarily Sea of Thieves is um is that you don't really have a time limit on that because it's an open world pirate game. Yeah. So you simply just play around. So so the one conceit we had to add to that is this idea of reputation. I, you, know, you are trying to become a pirate legend and you do that by getting enough reputation because otherwise our game never ends and therefore we can't make that yeah, game. So we yeah, have yeah. to have something that's that way. But the rest of the activities I just mentioned are all in the CFU's game. And bear in mind, this is a game where the objective can be literally to go around and do whatever you want to do, yeah. but you can go get new outfits or which are in our game, for example. You can go get the upgrade your ship. You can go attack sea monsters. You can go dig for treasure. You can fight skeletons. So a lot of it was quite straightforward to map over. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big things we wanted to do when we, you know, in terms of that um, acclimatization to make sure it feels like the game was to really zoom in. So what's your individual experience of playing Sea of Thieves? And one of the things that, that really comes out of the Sea of Thieves video game is I am a member of crew on a ship and I'm doing stuff as well as other players. So a lot of that crew focus is where we zoomed into when it came to the design for it, which is very much what your ships do is based on the number of crew you have. Crew tasks are key to success uh-huh. in the Sea of Thieves game. So it is literally, are you doing the sail sort of action, which is generally to sort of the rigging and steer your ship to where you want to go before you hit full sail? Is it to you know, revive a member of crew who's down? Is it to bail? Is it to repair damage or whatever else? Yeah, you know, when you actually get to making, you know, when you do open fire on things or when you do actually do a full sail or when you plunder stuff, you make a crew roll and that's determined by the amount of active crew you have and so on. All these different ideas that we wanted to put in there, I'll really sort of zoom in on that particular experience because that's when you zoom. Yeah, that's when you actually take a step back and look at the video game. That's what you are. You are a crew member on a ship, yeah. and that's what you do. So we kind of deliver to players this sense that they're almost like the admiral of the fleet, steering their ships around and wherever they want to go and have the bigger picture. But at the same time, um, they are very much zoomed in to this is the in, this is the crew transaction. So it feels more like Sea of Thieves. Yeah. And that's that's one of the big conceits we have. In terms of the actual way it plays, we generally tend to think of it as like a 4X light. So yeah. it is, you know, it, it's that, but it's much more streamlined. Whereas lots of lots of 4Xs typically have um, over lots and lots of overlapping systems that aren't necessarily super complicated, but there's a lot of them to kind of keep track yeah. of. Sea Thieves has like a, a very simple core loop, which is your actions. And once you've got that, the rest of it is very straightforward. It's It's kind of more... 
reactive. It's more like a draw a card, resolve the things on the card, and that will dictate how the enemies move or what events happen in the world. And you know, they're actually contained in the card, so you don't have lots and lots of rules to remember. Mm. Because one of the things we wanted to do was make it feel like there's very little downtime. Players shouldn't sort of be sitting there going, well, this person's turn takes 10 minutes, so I'm going to go check on my phone and update my Facebook or you know, go yeah. to make a cup of tea or whatever else. We wanted to keep play action moving fast. Um, so that's one of the big sort of conceits of what we've, we've built. Do you do you go back to games like Sea of Thieves and play them again? Do, are you? I mean, Absolutely. as part of like what you're doing, do you are you the likely to kind of like strip parts out of games to say right okay this definitely works how did this work and understand it and i'm not saying control c control v but it's kind of like understanding when things kind of gel together when you've got people who haven't spent the last six months kind of play testing in the game and it's out there kind of understanding what worked exceptionally well and what 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 wasn't or what people had issues with because i can i can imagine that there'll be stuff that you'll put out there and people go, that was amazing, that was fantastic, I loved that. And you're just like, wow, that took all of five minutes to put together. And then there'll be other stuff which you'll pay, you'll spend days kind of playtesting and make sure it's balanced and nobody mentions it. And you're just like, what the, f- okay, have you people got that kind of no, kind of no taste? But do you, do you, as I said, you continually kind of go back into the, your back catalogue to make sure you're doing like, I guess you would say your CPD your continuous professional development always uh never ever ever want to rest on our laurels any of the time mm-hmm. when none of us ever rest on our laurels we, yeah, whenever we make any game we always want to listen to our community we want to chat to them mm. yeah what did you like you know not even necessarily asking that question just watching and looking and hanging out with them yeah. but seeing what is it that people are really excited about what is it that you know was a swing and a miss what is it that you know, people think could be better. What is it that people think works really, really well? All of these things factor into our approach. Think about how I talked about Resident Evil, for example, yeah. to quickly go back to there. One of the best bits of feedback that, you know, we received for, you know, for example, Resident Evil 2. A lot of people said, we love this game, but the setup time is quite long. Yes. So, yep, cool, no worries. So, looked at this and went, right, well, one of the problems with that is the deck. You know, you're building a custom tension deck, a custom item A deck, a custom item B deck every single time. Yeah. So, how about we make two of those decks evolve we make the tension deck you keep one tension deck some cards go in or some cards mm-hmm. go out we keep one item a deck and we'd, that immediately means you set up that deck once and then you never need to do it yeah. again and then for resident evil one again it's like how do we continue to smooth that out so okay let's make it so the map explores this way or whatever else and and that's kind of it you kind of always want to go back and look at these things so sea of thieves absolutely i've played that since and i've played it a few times and I've, I've certainly spoke to a few different people about what works well and what doesn't work well, whatever else. And this will always inform our decisions going forward. Always. You know, it doesn't necessarily, even it could just be a simple mechanic. The catch up mechanic, for example, in the Sea of Thieves game, uh, is to do with how many uh, fortune cards you get, um, you know, which is roughly the amount of VP that the, the person or reputation the person in first place has versus the person in last place. There's a, there's a mechanic in it which gives you additional cards fortune cards for this you do re-rolls it gives you in-game effects and various different things you get more of them if the gap between you and the player in first place is bigger so as a result there's more of a catch-up built in that seems to have really resonated with a lot of fans cool it's not terribly you know terribly cf easy it's yeah. pure board game mechanic territory yeah. but at the same time huh that works really well we should do that again uh, if we look at bard song um, we look at you mentioned it earlier the solo play mechanics we introduced what I think is very is very much regarded as one of the better solo implements we've ever done in that game. In that game, so that will probably be something we put into other games going forward. You know, emulating that what worked really really well there. Then all of this stuff informs us because that's just how what works, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the interesting things about Sea of Thieves is it doesn't have the normal selection of minis. No, not yet. Oh. <laughs> What? Just dropping little breadcrumbs all the time. Uh, you, I, I mean, apparently that's why I come on this show. <laughs> so just throw the stuff out. It's like my, my, my first is in windmill, but not in sea. Sea <laughs> <laughs> fall. I, I, I mean, yeah. It's always, it's kind of piqued my. I've always been into. I've always been looking around for kind of like a decent pirate game, and <laughs> I've got Seafall in my cupboard. So I'm still looking around 
for a decent <laughs> pirate game. I occasionally, do you know what? See if I'm ever selling any kind of old board games that I've got. I put Seafall in the picture oh. just to kind of boost its confidence a bit to make it think that <laughs> people actually That's might nice. want it. It's one of these games I'm never ever going to get rid of. I'm probably never ever going to play it. But it's like just one of these things. I've had it for so long. It's kind of like a it's like a horrific duck ornament that you've got on the wall that you don't actually know where you got it from. But you you don't want to get rid of it in case the person that gave you it turns up at your house for a cup of tea and wonders where the duck ornament's gone. Or you or you don't want to regift it just in case you give it back to the person. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I gave you that for kind of I gave you that for kind of Christmas. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about in terms of like going forward? I mean, you've obviously got a lot of stuff kind of happening and a lot of stuff kind of going on um there's there's a few interesting things kind of going on at, at steamforge one of the things is that you've got yourself a little bit of reiner in the house which oh. i thought was a kind of i was like oh okay this is this is kind of interesting but i guess it kind of makes it kind of makes sense to put out kind of like an old loved kind of existing title but in terms, right, okay, but for you, and we've had this discussion away from the podcast anyway, is there like a smaller kind of card game, lighter kind of Euro, that kind of thing? Or are you kind of, you know, would you consider doing something kind of slightly different on a kind of a smaller level, a smaller kind of game yourself, mm. just to kind of... 100%. I, I I always want to, yeah I play a wide variety of different games. Um, unsurprisingly, I mean and that's not exclusive me. Like the SFG team gets together quite a lot, and we all play you know huge variety mm-hmm. of different you know different games. And it goes in swings and you know as with all things, it goes in sort of uh, cycles of what's popular amongst us or not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if I go back a few months, like a whole bunch of us are playing a whole bunch of forexes. If I look at it now, we're currently going for a whole bunch of miniature games. Yeah. So it's it's we you know we all go in sort of uh, swings and roundabouts, but yeah, I'm I'm always very happy to look at alternatives. Um, one of the things I've been sort of putting, turning my hand to a little bit more of recent times is a whole bunch of writing. Um, I'd love to be involved, more involved with Richard working on some RPG stuff, for example, making a complete sidestep. Yeah, um, if I can. Um, and then yeah, I've obviously looked at um, you know I've I've actually built more than a few card game prototypes, bits and pieces. I mean you know. The Sonic card game was me. Yeah. Peaky Blinders was yeah. me. Uh, oh, Shadow Games, uh, one of our old card games. Like, yeah. there's this, you know, I, there's there's a whole bunch of different bits and pieces that we've looked at. So. Are those nice little palette cleansers then? I mean, I can imagine when you're working uh, like on something like Elden Ring and Resident Evil and their uh, big games. Is it nice to kind of like get? Oh, here's something relatively short and sharp that I can I can work on and, and be focusing my 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 different kind of attentions on. I'd never sort of describe any game as a palette cleanser because that feels slightly derogatory. I'd never want to do that, but yeah. I do understand. I do understand your. You know sense. what I mean? As yeah. in, a, as a kind yeah, of, a, as in, kind of giving your brain something else to kind of focus on. I don't mean it in a kind of derogatory way, but a kind of a no, different I, direction. You know, yeah. a different. You know. Yeah, absolutely. It's always every game is always a challenge in sense of, and very much meant in the most positive way possible. Mm. It's always an intellectual challenge to. How do I make this game the best it can be? Yeah. And completely changing medium and format is is always a really short, a short, sharp, swift yeah change to the system straight away. Like okay, wow, okay, how do I make this? And that's cool. So yeah, absolutely, it's always entertaining. Um, one of one of the things I find a lot when I play any games, whether this be a video game, a board game, an RPG, whatever else, is for me trying to understand the mechanics. How does it tick? What's the engine? What's yeah? You know, what's keeping this thing going? You know how you know what's interesting about this what's not interesting about this that's what fascinates me endlessly and, and switching projects to like a new medium is always entertaining for that exact reason mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm. are you able to switch off though and just go ahead and enjoy something i'll tell you the reason why okay i'll be when i review games i'm playing them but there's part of me that's always thinking at the back does the system work you know, if I played it with three or four people, is this? Am I going to get the same kind of reward? If I, you know, is the setup too long? Does the is the rule book just nonsense and doesn't make any sense? Or you know, does this is this all balanced out and stuff like that? And sometimes I just need to take that part of my brain away and throw it to the side and just say, look, we're playing this game so we can have some kind of fun. 
So when you're doing the same, do you kind of say, well, I'm going to put my developer brain on the shelf and just crack on and just have some fun with this? Never completely. It's a bit like... Um... So, do you know sometimes when you go to watch... Yeah, when you sit down watching a movie in the cinema or something, mm. and you are so thoroughly caught up in the movie that you kind of sit there, you watch it, and you're just taking in what's going on on the screen, mm. and you're having a great time. And then sometimes when you sit there and you watch a movie, and you kind of find yourself at some point break for a second, break the immersion, look at your watch, go, oh, I've been in here for a little while, or yeah, a long while, yeah, yeah. or whatever else. I typically I know I'm playing a good game when I don't have problem disconnecting in that way. Like I will always have an ambient level of what's the game mechanics on this because that's simply informed by the day job. That's simply informed yeah. by how I've I've trained myself to understand how games work. Yeah, whether it's action economy, you know, speed bumps, whatever else, right? You know, any number of different bits of jargon I could throw at you for names of stuff that how we interpret things. Um, but I find really good games. Um, I will just there's a point where that kind of fades away and I'm just thoroughly caught up in the experience. Mm -hmm. Whereas on a game that perhaps might not be so strong, that's the bit where I kind of have that look at my watch moment. And at that point, I know I'm in full game developer mode is flipped back on because my level of engagement and drive towards this thing is just not the same. Uh 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 Yeah, no, I just find, I kind of find that, I kind of find that kind of interesting. It's like, you know, I'm obviously not a designer. But um, it's sometimes it's just turning that off and saying, let's just, that's why I sometimes play games like I've played quite a few times because I know I can switch it off and not have to be bothering looking at it. I like jump into, like, say, like Viticulture mm-hmm. on a regular basis because it's one of my favourites. And I, I don't, it's easy to teach and I can just play it and kind of just enjoy it and kind of get on, kind of get on with it. Yeah. Um, Resident <laughs> Evil board game is, it's it's out there in the wild it's the the wonderful price of ninety nine ninety nine, and you get a ton of minis in there. You get a lovely scenario book. You get your full kind of rule book. Um, is there going to be? And the, I know what the answer to this question is. Is there going to be a little expansion? Is there going to be a cheeky little expansion at all to this? Uh, I mean, you knew the answer. What's the answer? Uh, probably yes. <laughs> <laughs> So there are, uh, let's see, there are, off the top of my head, there's two main expansions for yeah. it, uh, which is Into the Darkness yeah. and Bleak Outpost. Yeah. Uh, there's also a third one, which is called Director's Cut, yeah. uh, which you can get, I think, direct from our website, probably. Yeah. Um, and that has a whole bunch of extra characters and enemies and game modes and things. So, yes. so there you go. There you go. And obviously what we'll do is we'll make sure that we put this link into the show notes so that we've got notes to show. And then what I'll do is I'll do a control C, control V on the previous links that you gave me from previous episodes because there's no point in searching them out. And you're you're in all the same provide that provide they work the same way. Well you're all in the same place. I'm assuming well, I, 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 I like the I like the idea you're gonna say, Hey, go check this out and it's a link to that CFE. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just it's... what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna change the name to everything and it's just gonna be links all to Sea of Thieves. <laughs> Like every every single one's going to be a link to Sea of Thieves. Like that's saying like it's a bad thing. Um, <clears throat> no, I'm not saying that at all. Um, thank you all as always for spending your valuable time with with this gutter snipe. Um, <laughs> um, where can we find you on the internet webs? Very quickly, if people are trying to find you. Uh, there's an SFG Discord these days, uh, these days, and I'm always very active in mm. that. Um, I'm on BGG as well. You can also find me uh, on Twitter or whatever that's called these days, uh, Sherwin's Agenda. Um, but yeah, otherwise, those are the main places. And make sure you do, especially Discord, but also the yeah, Facebook. Discord's, re- D- Discord's really cool because... Oh yeah, sorry, and, and Facebook groups, you'll find me in the different mm. groups for the various games. Uh, there isn't in one particular, but... Discord is really great. It's a wonderful way to interact with the audience. Um, yeah, wonderful way to interact with our communities and you know pick up ideas or just chat to them about what's cool and what they like. We ended up having a conversation about GI Joe last time I was on this. So it's it's not anything. It's not related to work. A lot of it's just hanging out and doing yeah, stuff. Exactly, and we all need about hanging out and doing stuff at the moment, which is all good. Um, and if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, just go to the internet and search for We're Not Wizards, and you'll find us in all the different places where the zombies are shambling very slowly towards you. Um, it's we'renotwizards.com for the podcast, we're not wizards.co.uk for the blog and website. 
and uh, you can find us on your podcast catcher of choice as normal if you are going to be finding us on your podcast catcher of choice there's a couple of things you can do you can tell other people about us and the other thing you can do is you can drop us a rating or a review because that always helps get us being seen in front of everybody else and if you are going to be giving us a rating or review remember don't give us 10 stars because it just makes us big headed but don't give us one star because it makes us cry Give us something in the middle, like a five, because it's average. But the person who's not being average is rather wonderful, rather fantastic. He's the Resident Evil. It's Mr. Sherwin Matthews. There you go. Thanks for getting It's the best outro I've ever had. <laughs> that just goes to show the level of outros that you get. Um, so, and there's only one more thing to do. It's a goodbye from Sherwin. Say goodbye, Sherwin. Yes. <laughs> And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, make something awful, and watch out for those windows because the dogs are going to be coming through. Do we not do the whole we're not wizards thing? I anymore? did. Uh, what you did there? Yeah. I missed yeah. that? Oh. I don't know. I thought I thought you normally say we're not wizards. Well, not, we're many we're things, not? but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Sherwin? No, we're necromancers. Well, see, we're see that's why I didn't do it because you're going to drop in something else. You know, that's why I didn't do it. Because it's like, oh, is he going to come up with something clever? Oh, he's a necromancer. That means you muck about with the dead. That's not very nice. Okay, I'll be an umbrella researcher. Well, that also Same means difference. that you muck around with the dead, which is also not very nice. I'm, I'm being on brand. I'm being Jill Valentine, which also means you're not muck around with the dead. But until then... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> until the next time, zombie boy. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>